Last week, we told you that people who say they are Christians but misread the Bible are risking their very souls. You can't chop up the Bible on the one hand and then on the other hand understand what it says about who Jesus is and what he did to supposedly save you. Tonight, we're going to start showing you how to read the Bible the right way, introducing you to a little thing called the Covenant of Works. And if you see that in the Bible, then you'll see Christ and his love for you very clearly. But if you miss it, you're in trouble. We're glad you're tuned in tonight to Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, vibrant, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. We're instructing the mind, engaging the heart. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Welcome tonight to Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kalustian, pastor of outreach at the Ontario United Reformed Church. In studio tonight with Moses Jambazian, pastor at the Pasadena United Reformed Church, and John Sautel, the pastor of outreach at the First United Reformed Church in Chino. And we're glad that you have joined us. We're making the outrageous claim again that if you say you're a Christian but you don't know how to read the Bible, you're risking your very soul. I mean, I believe that, that you'll be damned if you read the Bible wrong and you don't understand the gospel clearly. What do we mean by that? We mean basically that God is a God who actually expects to be in dialogue with us, that we are not to be ignoring him and we are not to take his word and butcher it and take out little sections and tell him this is the totality of what you will receive from us and you will reward me for it. We believe that you will actually read the whole scriptures. You will actually have them taught to you by people who are trained and ordained and you will learn, understand, believe and be saved. This is so offensive to a culture that hates any kind of intolerance. But, uh, they, you know, the Christian community sort of feels shielded from that. We're not like the world where we accept everything. Well, and, but, a, you know, and a community, do. right, and a community and a culture that is radically subjective, and there's no wrong opinion. We can all have our own opinion at the end of the day. As long as we're sincere in our belief about whatever it is we believe, God's going to wink at our ignorance and our false doctrine and just go ahead and let us in. Yeah, and that's right, because Christians think they're somehow shielded from that culture because we all at least say the word Jesus, and we have all kind of whatever prayed that sinner's prayer, so sure. we're all kind of on the same side. And now don't touch that, but we're saying no. So never mind that I denied that he's eternal son of God. Never never mind that I, I, I never accepted the fact that he became uh, incarnate to save me from my sins. I, I believed in this nebulous, vague idea of Jesus, and I got goosebumps on my spine when I said I believed in him, so it must be a genuine conversion experience. Right. Specifically, what we're talking about tonight, never mind that I don't really know, I could not really explain to you biblically what it means that Jesus saved me. That's what we're talking about tonight. People can claim Jesus, have accepted him, so all these things that they talk about and have really no idea because they're misreading the Bible. It's all the secondary things that you have to rely on. I did uh, pray the sinner's prayer. I did feel the tingling in my spine. It was at a camp. I threw my sins into the fire. I have all these definite (laughs) That's a great one. (laughs) Literally threw your sins into the fire. Yeah, but the thing is, the idea of actually knowing and understanding what all that means is offensive to people. When you push them and say, do you really know what Jesus did for you? In fact, why does it make any sense in your worldview that Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and came to earth? If you can't really understand that, then you probably don't have a saving knowledge. You don't have 
what is of the essence of faith, which is that that knowledge first, that base that builds up into a trust. And you know what? It's okay that this is a little bit offensive because you have to remember what Jesus said. I came on earth not to bring peace, but a sword. That was what was prophesied over him uh, by Simeon when he was presented in the temple. That's what his own self-understanding was. Rising and falling of of many. The rising and falling of many. I've appointed. He's been appointed for that. And so uh, the the fact that it has a little edge to it shouldn't bother anybody as if it's unchristian or something. Okay, so where do you go? Here's uh, broad brush, biblical strokes. Here's uh, how the scripture basically lays out the history of our whole human race. This helps us to understand why Christ came what he did for his people. We're thinking of of Romans 5 and how it explains to us uh, what happened in Genesis 3 and what's called the covenant of works. And the basic idea here, the basic understanding of the covenant of works is what? Okay, Adam is created by God. He is commanded to obey God. If he obeys him, he will be blessed. If he disobeys God, he will be cursed. Now what happened? Adam fell, right? Christ comes and he in Adam's place, obeys for his people. He perfectly obeys the law of God and then submits himself to a bloody murder to pay the penalty for his people who had sinned. That is, Christ accomplishes all of the salvation, all of the requirements of God for us to be made right with him. That's the basic concept that Romans 5 instructs us in, and how it explains Genesis 3. Right. Now now the difficult part is to draw all of what you just said out of Scripture. And I think the first stumbling stone that you're going to come across is you just have said, like, covenant, covenant of work several times here. Adam's in a covenant. And yet, as I read my Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, I don't see the word covenant there anywhere. Well, that's the same problem that we have. We don't see the word Trinity anywhere either. But there are those things which are the good and necessary consequences. In other words, as you read Scripture, there is no other way to understand a particular item than these theological concepts that we are giving. And that's one of them. If God comes and speaks to Adam and says, do these things and you will live, fail to do these things and die. Of course, he only gives one half of it. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and dying you will surely die then you have to say that is a covenant of works. It is an, an agreement, a promise, or a... Yeah, what do you mean compact. by covenant? What do you mean by covenant? You keep using that term. What do you, what do you mean yeah, by it? Covenant is like a contract, essentially. It is a contract or a compact in the older English. It is that which is an agreement between any number of parties. And in this case, it is an imposed covenant upon Adam, but it is a two-sided one. God is the one imposing it, and he is also a member of that covenant. So there are rules that bind the agreement. If Adam obeys, that's one of the rules, then uh, he will be rewarded for it. That's the other side of it. One important thing to add in here, too, though, is legal. It's a legal arrangement also, is that God uh, holds us to certain things. He holds himself to certain things, and this thing is is legal. It would hold up in a court of law, too. When we come back, what we're going to do is take you to Romans 5 and break down uh, verses 12 and following to show you that the Scripture teaches this. It's so important for you to grasp the covenant of works because it clearly shows our need for a Savior and what Christ has done to accomplish our salvation. You need to know it. You might not be saved without it. Come back to Sinners and Saints. You're listening to Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge, on 99.5 FM, KKLA, the Spirit of Los Angeles. Worldly cares, confusing philosophies, bad experiences with churches. So much distracts us and keeps us away from our highest calling. 
to love and glorify God with all that we say, do, and think. Set aside the cares of the world. Come to church to worship God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. Hear the word of God expounded by his ministers. Receive the comfort of his gospel. Be assured that his promise is true. Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners and reconcile God to man. Hello, I'm Reverend Moses Jambazian. Come and worship the one true God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. We worship Sundays at 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in the city of Arcadia. From the 210 freeway, take the Santa Anita exit and go south. Turn right on Colorado and proceed one half mile. We meet in the Wedding Chapel just west of the main building. Call us at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Or visit us at urcsocal.org. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. You're back listening to Sinners and Saints, Adam Kalustian with Moses Jambazian and John Sattel. We're pastors at local United Reformed Churches. You can find us, you can find churches that preach the gospel uh, fully by calling 866-99-UNITED. We invite you to come and join us. We look forward to the opportunity to meeting you and uh, serving you. We're talking tonight about reading the Bible properly as it pertains to our salvation. And we said that you don't want to miss this idea of the covenant of works that's taught in the Scripture. Now, you'll hear the some people say, well, it's not, there's no such thing as a covenant of works. The Bible doesn't talk about it, but actually... It, there is. It's In fact, it's all over the place. Again, just by as you look at what is going on in the Scriptures, there is no other way to explain it. But even in the actual wording, Hosea chapter 6, verse 7 but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt treacherously with me. Now, depending on what translation you have, it might say like men, they transgressed the covenant or at Adam, they transgressed the covenant. But neither of those make much sense in the context. Number one, we know of no city named Adam where some rebellion took place that Jose would be referring to. And the other is like men, it doesn't add up. What is it that men did to transgress what covenant? You wouldn't repeat men. Like men, men transgress the covenant. Or like men, they transgress the covenant. It's obvious. You so, would just say they transgress the so covenant. So it's a referent to the historical Adam figure that we find Genesis Yeah. Two. So what like, Isaiah is pointing out is that there was something that occurred between Adam and God, a covenant agreement, and Adam transgressed yeah, Adam. it and therefore brought about the death. Yeah. That. So the point is it's mentioned, the covenant of works you know, explicitly in the Old Testament, but but the real instructive text is Romans 5. If you don't have a clear handle on, on Romans 5 and its explanation of, of our desperate condition as sinners and what Christ has done for us, then you really need to, to work on getting a handle on it. Romans 5, I mean, we could just start looking at it by beginning at verse 12. I'm reading from a New King James. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, you can see that Paul's making the beginning of this comparison. He's, uh, if you skip down to verse, say, 18, uh, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. You see him finish off the comparison. The comparison he's going to make is between two men, Adam and Christ. The first one he talks about in verse 12 is Adam. Just as through one man, Sin entered the world, and death 
through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. There you have laid out the first thing that we need to understand if we're going to understand the gospel clearly, and that is why we are accounted guilty before God. Right. Well, P- Paul is dealing with a point here. He said, uh, we have to deal with a fact of experience, which everybody knows about. It's a grim fact of our experience as human beings is that everybody's dying. Okay, you can't get around that point. That's not doctrinally controversial. That's not a disputed fact. Paul is simply asserting something that anybody would agree with. Yeah, everybody's dying. Why? And his reason because of sin. That, yeah. And what's interesting is that it's the covenant of works with a covenant head that's at issue here. Because Adam sinned, you die. Because of the one man's failure, you are now accountable and you are now called a sinner in him. And so this is something that you have to start seeing. All right, well, this isn't good, obviously, and certainly it seems quite offensive that I have to die for someone else's sin, but that's where verse 18 comes in. It's also the work of the one man who is then given to you, or which is then given to you. So it's this one for one, the two federal It's a very important point here. It's the one for many idea that Paul is really driving home. You can't deny the fact. He's, again, everybody's dying. And it's because of sin. How does that all come? How does that come to the many? Because of the one. Yeah. Now let's back up a step so listeners know exactly what we're saying. Paul is going to now address the relationship between Adam, who sinned, our first father, and why it is exactly that we have the death that he died. Why do we die? What is the relationship between Adam's first sin and our sin? Now, the reason that question is important is because, as you've seen, Whatever you want to say about the relationship between Adam and his people is going to inform us or explain to us how it is that Christ's work affects his people. This is what the brothers are talking about here when they say that we have a representative. How we understand us receiving sin and death is going to instruct us how we receive life from Christ. And the problem is that most people don't want to deal with this. They see sin and death as being exclusively yours if you earn it, essentially. And so what happens is that the babies who die aren't really guilty of anything. They're not condemned under Adam. They're just fine. Their souls are all in heaven. Well, they look at verse 12 and it says in English, you know, because all sinned. And they say, oh, that's the proof. You know, people basically followed Adam's example. If you follow Adam's example, you do bad, you reject God, then you will die. But that doesn't explain death. If a baby didn't sin, why did it die? Especially in the womb where it hasn't had anything, but even up until some point at which the child understands or abortions. Yeah. So what you have is a problem then of you're saying that death comes only to sinners. Babies haven't sinned, but they still die. Like you've, it's got a very irrational uh, tinge to it. You don't, you can't do anything with that. All right. So let's focus. Let's ask the question: What is the relationship between Adam's sin? And the reason why all of Adam's descendants, all of us, die. That's the question. Verse 17. Give me the answer. By the trespass of the one man, the trespass of the one man, death reigned. One man, one sin, results in death and condemnation for all of his descendants. Now, in detail, we're going to prove that from verses 13 and following, but you got to come back to sinners and saints. Amazing grace. Instructing the mind, engaging the heart. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. 
Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, co-host of Sinners and Saints and pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. Tonight, I want to invite you to come worship with us. Let me tell you a little bit about First United Reformed Church. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 Freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. Or beginning on Wednesday, September the 10th, come visit us for Family Night, which offers Bible studies and programs for the whole family. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Reformation Radio. Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. We're back to Sinners and Saints. We have said that people who don't understand how to read the Bible and say they're Christians are endangering their very souls. We're going into some detail now to help explain to you a concept in the Scripture called the Covenant of Works. If you get this, then you have a clear understanding of what Christ has done for you and will give you great assurance of your salvation. And the Scripture will be opened up to you in in ways that you, you never could have believed. We're we're saying from Romans 5, verses 12 and following, that whatever can be said about the relationship of Adam and his descendants, how Adam's sin went to his descendants, can also be said of Christ and his people, how Christ's righteousness and goodness went to his people. So it's very important to understand how it is that we received the condemnation of Adam. Now, John pointed out right before the break that the one sin— of the one man, Adam, is what condemned us. We'll prove that to you. Now look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now here in verse 13, uh, Paul is talking about the old covenant law that was given to Moses. And he says, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. In other words, we know that before the law came, along with the Ten Commandments, all the ceremonial law and those sorts of things. Before that law came, there was sin in the world. But Paul says, look, sin is not imputed where there is no law. In other words, we did not see uh, visible, strict, legal uh, punishments coming into the community of the human race that we saw once there was a law code established. The way I always explain this is, suppose you're driving your car Uh, say, in a county that doesn't have speeding laws, but you're driving 85 miles an hour through a school zone where there are children present, would you say that that's sinful and wrong? Probably yes. But if you were pulled over by a police officer and he said, I'm going to write you a ticket, and you said, but there's no law against speeding, he could not impute to you that sin because there is no law. And the same thing is going on before the time of Moses when that law code was given. There is sin in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now look at verse 14. This is Paul's argument. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. And his point is this. How do you explain that people before the old covenant law came were dying when there was no law, no explicitly revealed law code that they violated that God would then impute to them the punishment or or give them death because of it? The answer is Adam's first sin had been imputed to them already. They are dying not for their own violation of some law code, like Adam died for, or like the people after the old covenant was given died for. They're dying because Adam's sin has been imputed to them, credited to them. Okay, so that that answers this argument then, that we are not, that uh, 
that says somehow that sin is the reason why, individual acts of sin is the reason why everybody dies, and they basically seal their own fate and destiny because they sin. Actually, they came into this world with sin already, that's what you're saying, because of the one act of the one man, his sin, his transgression of God's law in that covenant of works— yeah, that's resulted re- in condemnation for himself and everybody he represents. That's repeated five times at least in the passage. If by the one man's offense many died, that's verse 15. Verse uh, verse 16, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Verse 17, if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one. So it's very important to understand. We die because Adam sinned, and his sin is credited to us. Now, we said earlier, Moses why that is important. Understanding the relationship between Adam and us and how his death came to us will help us to understand what Christ did for us. Yeah, because the problem otherwise you run into is you take uh, the Ezekiel passages out of context where it says the soul that sin shall die. And then you say, well, if you didn't sin, then you don't deserve death. But of course, you can't explain the thing with the children then, how babies are still dying. But you also have another problem is that if you don't understand and believe this, then if it was your sin only that condemns you and not Adam as your federal head, then Christ's righteousness cannot save you. It has to be your individual acts of righteousness that save you. So many acts condemn, many acts save. So the work of Christ then becomes redundant or useless or absolutely foolish on the part of God to send his only begotten, most cherished son to die to accomplish nothing because individual acts of righteousness had to be performed by the subjects who would then get themselves salvation. So what you have to see then is understanding this idea of Adam as a covenant head in a covenant of works relationship with the Father is necessary, in fact, essential, so that you can give proper glory and honor and praise to the Savior who then fulfills that covenant which Adam failed to fulfill and gives you righteousness. Just like a baby who dies in the womb never chose to do anything evil, and yet was condemned under the sin of Adam. So you now are justified, though you have not done anything to earn it, have not chosen it, and God gets the glory. See, what's important here is to affirm the fact that these two figures are so central. Uh, The fate of all humanity stands or falls with one's relationship to one of these two. If you accept all that we're saying about Adam and the one for the many, and the result of their one act, and how it works its way out into condemnation and death for sinners. Now, Paul says that's a type, that's a pattern. He says this is how now we're to understand the work of Christ. If that was true for the first Adam, it's also true for the second Adam. It's also true for Christ. So then he goes on to say in verse 19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. In other words, if that was true in the case of Adam and all he represents, it's also true in the case of Christ and all who he represents. His obedience leads now to my justification. If you pollute that, if you enter in any sort of way, my acceptance or my doing anything is somehow it makes me right with God, you have corrupted the scriptures and you don't believe the gospel. The gospel is that Christ obeyed the law perfectly and You, if you belong to him, are credited with his perfect righteousness. Where Adam failed to obey the law of God, Christ prevailed. You are in Christ. His righteousness has been credited to you. He took your sins on himself on the cross, and you are released freely. That is a gospel that is completely outside of yourself. You did not do anything. That is the gospel that the Scripture teaches, and you can't find that 
from chopping up the Bible and pulling out verses here and there. We come back next week. We'll continue this discussion about how to read the Bible properly so that you might know you are saved and that you are in Christ. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED. Are you looking for a church where you don't have to sit there and be cynical and feel so negative about what you're hearing week by week? Do you desire to weekly be refreshed by the preaching of God's Word in truth and honor? Do you want to be freed to sing and pray to Him with your whole heart? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian, co-host of Sinners and Saints and pastor of Outreach at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We take our calling very seriously at the Ontario URC to preach the Word faithfully and to strive to run our church according to the Scripture alone. Now we want to show you that, and so we invite you to join us. I'm telling you, your Christian life will be revitalized when you can unite yourself with a family of believers who are together in a common confession of God's triumphant grace in their lives. We worship Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. To get to our church, take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway and go north. Make a right on Philadelphia Street and you'll see us on the left-hand side. Find us on the web at urcsocal.org. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED.